Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spake about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are his witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn there. While you're doing that, we'll go ahead and pray. Father God, we long for the day when we will see you face to face and we will behold your Son. God, and there will be myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, not just us, but 
all of our brothers and sisters for whom you have set your affection and your love upon God. And we'll be crying out, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. God, give us eyes to see this now. Even in this moment, your son is worthy to receive all of these things, God. Open our eyes to see it and open up our hearts to come to him with all joy, with all affection, with all humility. So God, work through your word. Right now we pray. Amen. The founding of Rome is that of mythical grandeur. You have Romulus and Remus, two brothers who uh, come together and start this city that then quickly, rather quickly, grows into an empire. But this city, Rome, grows up in the midst of another kingdom, the Etruscan kingdom. Not surprisingly... The king of this kingdom is not too happy with this city that's now growing and thriving in their midst. And there, this Etruscan king, Lars Porcina, comes and gathers his armies from north and south and east and west and brings them all together and marches towards Rome. But there stood one bridge between this army and this city. And on this bridge stood one man, Horatius. As the lauded poem says, Then out spake brave Horatius, the captain of the gate, to every man upon this earth that comes soon or late. And now can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? Alone stood brave Horatius, but constant still in mind, thrice thirty thousand foes before, and the broad flood behind. So here is Horatius on this bridge, single-handedly, he has two brothers with him, and then he sends them his way as they are wounded, and he's fighting with his bridge narrows down, tens of thousands of troops pressing onto him, while his brothers-in-arms are below, trying to chop the bridge down. And he pulled it off. Down with the bridge he goes. And here we still know of him today. Great Horatius on the bridge. So here's a man who saves a nation by giving himself for it, by his whole life. Everything he had, he gave it, but he saved this nation through his life. Is there a man who could save a nation not by living? But through his death. Absolutely. That's why we're here. It's Jesus Christ. 
And this, this glorious message that we're going to be looking at, this, this first sermon of, of Peter, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ back to the Heavenly Father, now we get this glimpse into what's going on. What are they going to focus on, this early church? Well, the, the thrust of his sermon here is that we must repent and be baptized. Well, how does he get to that? Well, it's, it's quite simple. Christ is killed. We're going to be looking at that. Christ is raised. Christ is exalted. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Christ is killed. Christ is raised from the dead. Christ is exalted and the Holy Spirit is poured out. This is just basic gospel 101. The foundation of our church. So let's go back to the, the text here in verse 22. Let's do uh, 22 and 23 here. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Where in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, this very Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God... You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So we've come through the Old Testament, as you know, and we've seen how the focus, again, the focus of all of this is upon Christ. And what we are doing is going through scriptures and hopes that you're able to see that all of the scripture is pointing towards Christ. This whole story that is happening is pointing towards Christ in hopes that when you begin to look at your own story, you will see how that too should and does point to Christ. So we hear in Genesis, we see that Christ in Genesis 3 is the promise of the seed of the woman who is to come. Christ, it's Christ, not Moses, who was the true prophet. It is Christ who is the one from David who will be his descendant that will reign and rule on his throne forever and ever. And it is Christ throughout the whole sacrificial system that is laid before us in Exodus Leviticus, Christ is this true Lamb. And so then we get to the Gospels, and we see how everything pointing towards them comes to fruition. And it is true, Christ is the Lamb who was sacrificed. Christ is the prophet who brings the true word there. You see him up in the mountain, in the Sermon on the Mount, bringing the word of God. All of this is coming to fruition So, what do these apostles do? Now when the one that you've been looking forward to has come and gone, what do you do? Well, naturally they look back to him. Christ is still the focus through it all. And so, they set before us basically this... this, In the early moments of this Christian church, just in this message, you see the basics of the Christian life here laid before us in that we move forward. The church still moves forward as we anticipate Christ coming again. But how do we move forward? Even in your Christian lives, how do you do it? Well, you move forward by looking back upon what Christ has done. 
And so you almost walk backwards through your Christian life, continually focusing back on what Christ has done and who he is, and walking in true faith of what is to come. And this is what we see with the disciples. Immediately, right away, they're talking about what Christ has done. So he tells in the men of Israel, hear these words, this Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, by God with mighty works. So they're saying, let me, let me tell you about this Jesus. You are familiar with him. You know him. You know of the place, Nazareth. You don't have to look it up in the map. You know where it's at. You guys were in there in the synagogue when he opened up the scroll and read from Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You were there. You know this man of Nazareth. You know how he was attested to by God. It's not as though he just made these claims and then didn't do anything about it, much like my cleaning regiment in the house. I make these, uh, you know, amazing claims of what will get done, but then there's no evidence of it whatsoever. When Christ, he makes his claims, but then is attested by the works of God the Father working through him. And so he tells him, okay, so you're going to follow Moses... Because of what he's able to do. You can follow Joshua into battle because you know the hand of God is mighty and is upon him. Elijah and Elisha, you tell your children about him. Because of what they did. Well, look, look at what Christ has done. He's brought Jairus' daughter. Alive from the dead. And Christ began, began to go to her and on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. A lady who's had bleeding problems for 12 years comes up and just, just touches, touches the corner of his cloak. And that's more than enough. And she is healed. And then he continues on to Jairus' house and he goes up into this upper room and with everybody laughing at him, he... Sweetly says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, arise. Brothers and sisters, if we see this work of Christ, and if it does not bring us to repentance, what Peter is saying is that this evidence is then incriminating to your soul. So in Christ we see that the blind can see and the deaf can hear and the lame can walk. And this is the ministry of Christ. So Peter's telling them, you've seen all of this happening in the ministry of Christ. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know and just be aware of this transformative power and work that is still happening even in our midst of course, we look to, to Scripture chiefly and alone, but we've had ladies not that long ago attempt suicide who are now thriving, amazing, wonderful mom. We had couples who are alcoholics just a couple of months ago and who are now trusting in Christ. We have a lot of you... <laughs> 
in rehab, trips in and out of rehab, in and out of rehab, wondering what is it going to be? How does this end? Death or prison? Which one? Am I going to OD or am I going to get a felony and rot away? Which one? And then Christ comes. Christ is working among you. Bring some of you from not that long ago being curled up beside your bed, riddled with anxiety, just sobbing and sobbing. Captured in fear. To now being off medication and joyfully trusting yourself into the hands of God. Brothers and sisters, this work is still happening among us to this day. Let's not overlook it. Alright, so go back to uh, verse 23. This Jesus... This, this very one, whom you know, whom you've seen, evidence the power of God through him. This very Jesus. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So this very one. You should have been worshipping him. Rather, no. You handed him over to be crucified. So, first thing you notice is that... All of this is happening under the plan and the foreknowledge of God. This isn't happening as though it's going to be a surprise or as though they're caught off guard. God the Father or Jesus Christ not caught off guard. Rather, this it's quite clear that this is why Christ has come. Luke has written Acts. You go into the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 9. That's quite clear. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. To be killed and on the third day be raised. This is the plan of Christ. It's not something that has befallen upon him. He's not trying to make the best out of a horrible circumstance. No, this is the eternal plan of God carrying forth for him to redeem his people. Later on in in Luke chapter 9, let these words sink into your ears. Okay, let me be very clear to you disciples. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So you see this absolute surrender from God the Father into the hands of God, into His sovereign plan. So this definite plan and foreknowledge of God, what is it then? Well, it was the will of God to crush Him. Is what it was. And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. And he shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord. Shall prosper in his hand. It is the will of God. To crush his only son. Also in John. It says. Just as Moses. Lifted up the snake in the desert. So. The Son of Man must be lifted up as well. And then it happens. One of the criminals is mocking him. And the other one is mocking him, but sees Christ upon the cross and comes to faith. And he tells the other criminal... And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ said to him, the criminal, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It is now about the sixth hour. Darkness was over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud spirit, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last There is our Christ. This is the glorious message of Christ crucified. Christ crucified. It's it's again and again and again woven throughout every every sermon, every message that they're saying. They can't give enough of, don't you realize that this Messiah, we crucified Him. But it wasn't only that. It was the plan of God that he would be crucified. So that he could take our sins upon himself while he's on the cross. And they can't get enough of it. You're following this guy and you think, oh, he's going to restore the kingdom. He's, we're going to see this another, you know, another Horatius at the bridge and he's going to redeem us. I know, but then he gets killed like other, other rebellious leader. And you're wondering what's happening. Why did I follow him? Then he's raised. And they can't get enough of this. So you see this in Acts chapter 2. First sermon. What is Peter pounding on? You killed him. Christ was raised. And it goes on. And then in chapter 3. And he's in the portico as well. He says. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted you. Release, release Barabbas, Barabbas, give him to. What shall I do with the charge? Crucify him, crucify him. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe they get a little different message. Maybe the sermon's becoming a little redundant. Okay, that's chapter 2. We're in chapter 3. Well, let's look in chapter 4. If you start in verse 8, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man, by what means this man has, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God and God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And so here's uh, Peter before the Sadducees is what's happening. They can't get enough of it. They're breaking bread. What are they? What are they they're talking about Christ crucified and Christ crucified and Christ being raised. So that's after two, three, four, chapter five. Not surprisingly, it's the same thing. He says, "Well, we must obey." This is before the council when they're they're again in trouble before these these leaders. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him to the right hand as a leader and savior. To give repentance to Israel in the forgiveness of sins. Again and again and again. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. What has been the anthem throughout the early church is Christ crucified. Even Paul, when he is in the Areopagus, the Mars Hill, 
Why the, before, what is he talking about before he gets invited and gives his great prolific sermon in, in Acts 17? Well, he's talking to them about this Jesus, obviously him being killed and then his resurrection. Even Paul, that's his great message, even not amongst the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. So it's this constant theme as, as we, the church begins to look back upon this Christ and Him crucified again and again and again. Throughout church history, where has revival sprung out? This clear message of Christ crucified. You want revival? You want to reach the city? Yes. Share with your coworkers, share with your children, share with your parents, share with your neighbors. Of Christ crucified. There was no other. There's no other message that's going to bring salvation. We have nothing else to offer. Except for Christ. Who he is. And what he has done. So it will never be in vain brothers and sisters. When you proclaim this message to whomever you're with. For faith comes by hearing and hearing. Through the word of God. So, brothers and sisters, if you want to see the love of God, look to the cross. If you have any doubts that the creator of all of the universe loves you, just continually look to the cross. Look to the cross. And it's easy for us in this life to be tempted by Satan and to think that the the temporal troubles of life begin to rise up as a mountain between us and the cross. But the cross is always higher. And you can always look to it. You can look to it over any of our troubles or our circumstances. So this, brothers and sisters, is how one man, not through his life, but through his death, is able to save a nation. But it goes on. Verse 24. God... Raised him up. Loosing the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we look to the cross. And we see the love of God the Father. For us. That he would give his only begotten son. You want to see the love of God. Look to the cross. You want to see the power of God. Look to the empty tomb. You recall. Back in the garden, Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, and so what happens if they do it? Well, you will surely die. A death, you will die. And death has been the curse that has come from the time that Abel was pasted into the ground. So then to overcome this, this curse of death, Christ comes He himself undergoes death. But it doesn't end there. So if it ends there, then you have a nice martyr story. Of someone who came and did something great and then he died for it. But with an empty tomb, you have the Lord and God of all who has overcome death. So then death, when it befalls upon us, it has no power. Will we still die? Absolutely. But it has no power. The death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, you can mock it now. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
So in light of the resurrection, death, brothers and sisters, is not the end. But it's, it's, death is the way that our glory, our, our bodies are transformed from this temporal body into eternal glory. So this great curse has been undone. And death has nothing to hold over you. So you have hope. Because without the resurrection you have no hope. But now you have this great hope. And so Paul, Peter is so vivid here. The, the, it's, the picture is great. Look at verse 24. God raised him up. Loosing. Loosing. The, 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 loosening the pains of death. They weren't even great enough to hold him into the grave. So when it was the will of God the Father to raise him up from the dead, there was nothing that death could do about it. Even death itself, which has conquered and held in its captive everyone up until the point of Christ, even death itself was not strong enough. But the death is seen there kind of lashing him to the grave. But when God raises him up, death itself is overcome. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're in the same state that I was throughout much of this week. And you're going, how many times have I heard this though? Like, big deal. We hear about this every time. Every time, Christ, yes, I know, I heard about it when I was a kid, yes, I know, I know. And I, I was confessing to a brother, like, I struggled with this, I have to confess my sin to this. I'm reading this and I don't see the glory of it, that someone, God the Father, sent his son to die on behalf of my sin, that I have no idea how wretched and horrible it is. And he was put in the grave And he was raised from the dead. And somehow I've heard this so many times that my heart has seemingly grown callous to it all. Brothers and sisters, don't let that happen to you. Be enraptured with this. Again and again and again. It's like your spouse, you've been with them for a number of years. And then you you find yourself becoming overly comfortable. And not enraptured anymore. And so what do you do? Well, you just take a moment and you go, No, I I do love you. This is amazing. This is glorious. So brothers and sisters, you're sitting here and you kind of tune it out. You go, oh, just a sermon about the death and burial, resurrection of Christ. Take stock of your heart right now, if that is what's happening. This should enliven you. This should compel you to go to the nations. This should bring you to set everything at the feet of of Christ and say, whatever you want, it is yours. Brothers and sisters, don't hear this and be callous to it. Don't grow cold to this glorious truth. As it says, don't lose your first love. However... It's not complete. The story goes on. Verse 32. This, again, going back to Christ. You know him, Nazareth. You saw the works. This this Jesus, whom you crucified. This Jesus, who was raised. This Jesus, God raised up. And of all that, you can't get out of this. You know it. You were all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Brothers, it's the restoration to go back to what we had in the garden, and even better, Christ isn't just raised and then left here on earth. No, Christ is is raised from the dead and then exalted back to God the Father. Remember how in Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the evening. They would have communion with God. So it's not as though they were had life, but then they remained outside the garden. No, no, that, that's not what we want. We want to be back into the presence of God. So through Christ... We are raised up then to go back into the presence of God, completely undoing not only the the curse of death, but completely undoing the separation of God that we could come back into his presence, not only have communion with him through prayer and through feasting at the table, but that we can have communion with him, seeing him face to face. This is the glory of Christ exalting or being exalted back to God the Father. He's not only lifted up to the cross in shame, but now he is lifted up in glory. And as we've said, nothing. When you become fixated upon this and you begin to orient your life and and point towards these truths, you see that everything else kind of fades away. Much of our week is spent, just be honest, much of our week is spent worrying about things that just won't even matter by the end of the week. And here we are neglecting so often these eternal truths of God about us being resurrected and brought back into the presence of God the Father to worship Him forever and ever. Orient your life towards these truths. Okay, so the condition is set perfectly. Christ is buried, Christ is raised, Christ is exalted. So the presence of God comes even closer to us. Remember, we were cast out of the garden, then we have the presence of God the Father in the temple, but you have to be clean to go into the temple. Then we have the presence of Jesus come and dwelling among us in the flesh, John chapter 1. But now what do you see is that God is not only dwelling among us, but through the Holy Spirit, God is now dwelling in us. A little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer until we are exalted and brought back up. So this is where we are in the realms of history. Is that we now have the Holy Spirit living within us. So then what do we do, brothers and sisters? What do we do? When they heard all of this, they were cut to the heart of verse 37. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles. Brothers what shall we do? And Peter said to them. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do? If this is true. That Christ has come. Christ was died. Christ died, Christ was buried, he was raised from the dead and exalted back to God the Father. What do we do with this? It's true for them and it's true for us. Repent. 
Repent of your sins. Turn from them. Don't just try to absolve them in your heart. Don't try to placate them. Don't try to explain them away. Don't try to say, well, I won't, I won't do that anymore. I won't do that anymore. No. Repent. Turn from your sins. And be baptized into Christ. or into Christ's body, a local church. Be baptized. And who is this for? Well, for everyone. Some of you are here, and you're thinking this is actually not for you. But this is for everyone. Perhaps you've heard this a hundred times. I, that would be amazing. But let the story, don't make your heart grow callous to it, but let it drive deeper and deeper and deeper every time you hear it, rather than just shrugging it off and thinking it's no big deal. So no longer, they said, this is for everyone, every individual. So no longer are you going to look to your, your collective heritage. No longer are you going to be looking to your parents' faith. And no longer are you going to be looking upon your apparent goodness that you, God's not able to find it, but apparently you are able to find it within yourself. But look only to the cross and look to the empty tomb and look to our Christ who has been exalted back to God the Father. And with all of this before you, brothers and sisters, repent, repent of your sins and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us pray. Let us pray. God, we know this basic, glorious truth has turned the world upside down. But you have turned this world upside down by turning each individual upside down in their hearts, turned within them by your Holy Spirit working upon them. And so we plead with you that you would do this same work within us, God. That we would be enraptured now as we will be in the years and the eons to come, God. Enraptured with this amazing truth that your son has conquered death. Very death that holds so many of us in fear. God, thank you for this work in our hearts to drive this deep, to bring us to repentance. As only you can do. Amen. Amen.